You're listening to the Business Artist Podcast. My name is Jan Melhaus. Today, our guest is Alex Branson. Alex is a music business consultant. Uh, he's worked in the music industry for a long, for a long time, and he's uh, started with his own company, ABC Music, as well as a podcast. Um, very interested, uh, very, really, very much looking forward to talking to him today because he's coming from the music industry like I do. And we have a lot in common. Hello, Alex. How are you doing? <laughs> Hello, Jan. Thank you for that introduction. That's very kind. Yeah, I th I th we were we were just talking before we started rolling that, uh, that you, you started your podcast, I think, 22 days before I started mine. Yes. I mean, it's, 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 I think, the you know, the moon's aligned or something like that. <clears throat> That's why we're sitting here talking. Indeed, yes. No, thank you for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Yeah, I look forward to that. And I thank you for being here. So... Um, can you maybe for our guest uh, just describe your story so far? How did you come into the music business? What have you experienced in the music business? And how did you uh, come to the decision to do your own company and your podcast? You've got, you've got several days, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will try and condense it. But yeah, it's, it's a sort of long meandering, long meandering story. But as, as I'm finding when I, as I'm interviewing people, Uh, for my podcast actually a lot of the stories are the same you know it's, it's mm -hmm. kind of sort of no one it's not like you go to law school you become a lawyer right um <clears throat> so yeah I, i mean i'm a uh, uh as i think a lot of people in the music industry are i'm a failed musician mm -hmm. and uh you know that's uh that that's that's and that's completely acceptable uh in the music industry a lot of people are so um yeah so that was where it kind of began for me uh you know i'm a classically trained uh, trumpet player i was playing i played bass guitar in an indie rock band And it was the indie rock band that kind of really, like, I think first kind of um, moved me down the business sort of line because uh, I made friends with um, uh, the owner of a, a local recording studio that we were rehearsing in and also doing some recording in. And, uh, you know, I think, I think as a band, we were all right. I mean, we were certainly nothing special, but um, she, she thought that we were good enough to introduce uh, to a, a friend of hers who worked for a publishing company. And he came down to watch us rehearse. He said that he thought the songs were pretty good. Of course, at the time, I thought we were about to get a record deal, but you know, obviously later learned that that's not what that is. Uh, but regardless, it, it allowed us to, uh, you know, get some sort of paperwork signed uh, with the songwriter, of course, not by me. Um, and uh, we ended up in a, a you know, half decent recording studio. It was one that Peter Green from Fleetwood Mac had recorded in, that kind of level. Um, and, and, and sort of during this process, I was learning about words like publishing and what that meant. And, You know, I have a slightly curious nature about myself and, and so went, went away and did some research. Um, this is kind of pre-internet kids out there. So uh, that was, uh, you know, library and asking people uh, research rather than anything else. And so, uh, yeah, it just, I, it just really caught my imagination. I mean, a lot of it, and I've talked about this before on panels and things like that, but uh, to me, there was a sort of uh, a magic that was happening where you could create a business around something that was uh, for the large part intangible, right? You know, music being played on the radio. Mm. Uh, you know, how does that like, how does that work? Like why, why would anyone do that? If there's no sort of like, you know, monetary gain from it, I guess, other than promotion, but it just felt like there were, there were too many questions. And so I started to dig into it and just got really sucked into it, I think. Mm. Uh, and then, uh, you know, realized, um, you know, I was never actually going to be good enough to be a musician. Uh, there were, I was surrounded by a lot of people that kind of went on to be like session musicians for, for, for various bands and, and they, they were just technically much better than I was. Uh, and so, yeah, I just kind of felt, uh, felt that I, you know, that, that, that combining the two, 
you know, music and business, uh, which I had an you know, interest in both was, was the kind of the, you know, the right way to go. Um, so, <clears throat> but where it all really started was uh, after that, I, uh, you know, I was at an age where I was just about to go off to university and I didn't know what I wanted to do um, uh, other than work in the music industry. Uh, and then I discovered that there was this brand new course in the UK called music industry management. And I thought, well, that, that sounds perfect. Uh, and it was, uh, and it was, and it was great. And, and I did you know, three... or, or, say again, in which city uh, was, Oh, <laughs> so, um, I forget the name of what it was originally sold at Brunel University, which is like quite an established university over here. Um, but then over time, it became Buckinghamshire Chilterns University College, which isn't as glamorous. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, it was in um, it was in a place called High Wycombe, which is just basically west of London. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, that was, and I, and I was living the other side of London, so that was always a fun journey to get there because you know, getting anywhere in in the UK can be a uh, hellish at times but uh, still um yeah so uh, so yeah did that. so I, I did that course and you know as soon as i got there i kind of for me it was really yeah I'm, I'm i'm a fan of education but i wasn't a, a natural uh you know student i suppose mm -hmm. so as soon as i got there you know for me it was more about right i'm gonna learn some stuff but ultimately this is my way in you know it was it was very much a kind of I know I want to do this. I know I want to work in the music business. I'd been exposed to a little bit of it by that point. And I thought, yeah, that, that's what I want to do with my life. So I think I was just very fortunate that I had that in my head and was able to kind of focus on it and, and kind of, you know, go for it. And uh, the, the, uh, the origin story, I guess, is I was, I was spending a lot of time uh, kind of bugging the hell out of this teacher at the, at the university that was in charge of um, work experience because that's all I wanted I just wanted work experience mm -hmm. and for ages there just wasn't anything and <clears throat> it was the, the end of um, the, the second year I think it was or towards the end anyway um, and a, a former student who'd, who'd been like the two years before so I think I was the third year to go through this course he came in and he did a sort of guest lecture all about uh, MIDI and he brought in all of his you know keyboards and and I was fascinated by studios and, and the recording process because of my experiences and so I, I'd sort of stayed behind got chatting to him helped him with his keyboards into his car and by this point all the other students had gone home <clears throat> as we were loading the keyboards into his car this teacher um, that was in charge of work experience uh, you know uh, you know come around the corner and said oh hey you're looking for work experience aren't you and I went yeah and he went uh, right on Monday and this is like this is a Friday so he's like yeah on Monday you start at Sony and I was like, uh, and he just walked off. And I was like, uh, <laughs> what does any of that mean kind of thing? Uh, and yeah, so I sort of turned up at um, Sony in, in London, um, you know, and I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a kid that grew up in the country, right? You know, just a, the, the big city was not somewhere I'd spent a lot of time. And so that was kind of fascinating anyway. Um, and then of course you're in the sort of, at least to me, felt like an incredibly glamorous environment of, of Sony Music and Great Mulberry Street as it was. Um, and uh, yeah, and they, and they kind of just put me to work and they had this kind of <clears throat> three week uh, work experience plan that they did with people uh, and they kind of, you know, shipped you around different departments. But I get to do the, the classic thing of saying, I began in the post room uh, at Sony Music. So I, yeah, my first week was spent with, um, you know, with a franking machine and a, uh, a mail cart, uh, and I'm what was it was I'm 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 in Berwick Street, you know. I started oh, exactly in the corner of Berwick Street, yeah. <laughs> right, you around the corner then. What year yeah. were you there? I think 97, 98. Yeah, yeah. 
damn like we yeah i was i was uh, 98 was when i was when i started going there there you go that's that's hilarious uh, our our, uh, our our stories align once more yeah. uh yeah so so i i, I spent a, a wonderful kind of uh three weeks at, you know uh, doing this work experience and you know first week was great because um i think they do on purpose so you you get you know you get the mail cart and you're pushing it around all the different floors and sort of by nature of that you get to learn the building it's kind of, i think it was like eight floors in this building um you know they were more or less the same on you know looking uh, on each floor you know a, a few differences but um you know but once you kind of learned that navigation you knew what you you knew not only who people were but where they were <clears throat> so later on in the work experience you get assigned and I, I was put in epic uh, in the press department for a week then um uh, and which is fine you know uh, you know learn a few different things there um and then in my last week i was supposed to go to columbia and uh they can't, i don't know what was going on but they weren't organized uh, enough to have a work experience person that is the best way of putting that <laughs> and so there wasn't really a lot for me to do there uh which you know it, it's whatever i mean i you know i now know having run lots of companies work experience um we can perhaps talk about that later on if you want but you know it's not always the easiest thing right mm -hmm. unless there's a proper hr team and you know people know that somebody's coming in and they've got enough time to spend to kind of show you some stuff but you know if you're there for a week like what can you possibly learn and then you're going to be useful you know it's kind of a bit like that <clears throat> so anyway so it kind of got to this stage where um i had a bit of a weird third week and then on the on the thursday i think it was a thursday or the friday one of the, it was right towards the end they said look um uh, s2 uh which you know is jamiroquai's label and i'm a huge jamiroquai fan right so s2 needs somebody because uh, their their work experience person has not turned up, right? And they, they need somebody to kind of, you know, <clears throat> do do lots of things. Um, and so by the time I, <clears throat> so I went up there and I only had a day and, but because I, I knew the building and I knew where things like Whitfield Street Studios were, I knew where, uh, you know, a few of the other kind of things that were outside of the building uh, because I'd been, you know, I'd been a runner for, for Epic and did some stuff for Columbia. <clears throat> and I think what had happened was they, they, they weren't expecting anyone to kind of know how to use the computer system or anything like that. And of course I'd learned all this cause I'd been there for by this time, three weeks. And, uh, and, um, uh, uh one, <laughs> the, the, the product guy at the end, um, came out and I was seeing with, uh, uh Sam, uh, uh, Sam Winwood, uh, Muff Winwood's son, uh, putting VHS cassettes into uh, these sort of cardboard sleeves for a promo run, and, and you know it was, it was Friday by this point. Um, yes, it must have been a Friday. Yeah, so Friday, you know, seven, eight o'clock at night. You know, the, the building had cleared out by this point, and I'm sitting there putting these VHS cassettes in, and and he and he comes over and he says, um, uh, "You were really good today. Can you come back?" And of course, but so this is the Friday, right? And I'm thinking, oh, that's the end of my exposure to Sony. And I was, I was genuinely sad. Like I really enjoyed it. You know, I'd met some really good people, you know, almost everyone had been really super nice to me. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much. That's wonderful. And, and you know, we were about to go into the summer. So I had the summer break. So I had time. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'll come back. So about two weeks passed and, you know, I've got the number for the HR team and I keep phoning them and I keep saying like, you know, I was asked to go back. I was asked to go back. And, um, uh, and it, <clears throat> And they, they kept sort of saying, yeah, yeah, we're trying to sort it out. We're trying to sort it out. And I think what had happened was that they actually had somebody booked in for work experience S2 uh, for, you know, the, the, the summer or whatever, you know, whatever, uh, you know, schedule they had. Uh, and they said, but look, there's a, a dance label 
uh, called in Incredible and they need somebody for the summer. Do you want to go and do that? And I remember when I was uh, sitting in the, uh, the auditorium at, at university before we'd started the course and the, the lecturers had said something like, um, who here wants to be an A&R person, right? And everybody put their hands up. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it was, oh, who wants to be an A&R person in a classical label, right? And of course, nobody put their hands up because, you know, young kids, not cool, whatever, right? And, uh, and the lecturers just said, well, why not? That's your way in. You know, and it was this kind of like, just take any job you can to, to, to get in, right? Mm -hmm. And so that, I think that always sort of sat with me, uh, as some, you know, as a sort of life lesson, I guess. And uh, I said, absolutely, of course. And, and dance music wasn't at that, that time anything I was particularly interested in. As I said earlier, I was in an indie rock band. That's kind of, that was kind of my thing, you know, Blur Oasis kind of era. Yes. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so, so, so that was kind of how I got my start. And I ended up at, at Sony and uh, got on well with the, the team and they kept me around. And I uh, did a year and a half, uh, you know, off the back of that. And, that, and literally what haven't looked back. Was it then? What, 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 what position did you have then? Done still officially or general dog's body <laughs> no i mean no actually do you know what, what was what was really i think what i got really lucky right so um obviously sony's you know big company still is today um and a lot of the labels have you know multiple departments lots, lots of different sort of layers of, of hierarchy and management but the uh the the label that i was at incredible they um uh there were, i think it was only about five people in the whole label I mean, obviously things like legal and finance were outsourced, right? Um, but <clears throat> so, uh, you, you, you know, the, the boss, uh, Lynn Cosgrave, uh, who's uh, vice president of, um, of dance uh, for Sony, um, you know, I, I literally was assisting her kind of thing. But she very, but because there was so much, to, you know, to do. And they were, <clears throat> so first of all, she, she said, oh, um, we've got a, a Josh Wink album and a, Sat a Satoshi Tommy album. Um, I want you to product manage them, right? And I, I'm 18 mm -hmm. and I'm sitting there going, yeah, no problem. I haven't got a clue what product management means. I, have, I literally have no idea, but I've just said yes, because you do, right? Uh, and uh, and, she, and fortunately, she, um, she put me in touch with uh, uh, a lady called Rebecca at uh, Slice PR. And she said, I'll just go and talk to her and she'll, get, she'll kind of get you started on, you know, where the, these, these projects are at. So, and, and she was brilliant. She really kind of, you know, this, this person didn't work for Sony, um, you know, which worked for the outsourced PR company, just mm -hmm. really took me under a wing and, you know, was just brilliant and just really sort of helped me through. And actually, as I figured out later on, if I didn't know something, all I did, needed to do was ask, because of course they weren't expecting me to know. Um, but yeah, and, you know, I built up a good friendship with, uh, with Satoshi. Um, he was, you know, part of the Def Mix crew. So I met people like Judy Weinstein um and you know D danny tanaglia and, and others and you know and you know when i was going out to ibiza later on in, in life you know i could call them up and they would put me on guest lists and you know and it some really good like relationships had been built by that point um and so uh so yeah so i product managed a couple of a couple of albums and then she said oh uh we, and one of the big things that the label did was they made compilation cds uh so things like gate crasher was kind of our flagship uh, which was a, a club um uh in the midlands um, and, uh, and you know, a few other things. So incredible had this, uh, incredible sound off series that they did with radio one DJs. So people like, uh, Joe Wiley, uh, mm -hmm. something with Trevor Nelson, uh, and, uh, Giles Peterson. And, you know, obviously all these like incredible individuals that, you know, ha all had an influence on my life, so, you know, in some way or other. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there talking to them about what track list they want for, for their compilation album. Um, because my role, what they, what, what, what Lynn had done for me at that point was, hugely important 
was <clears throat> she said right you're you're going to go off and license these records mm-hmm. again didn't really know what that meant but i said yes no problem um and and again you know there were the people in the label like andrew gallagher that kind of sort of spent some time talking to me about it and, and helping me but and actually <clears throat> you know in hindsight um when you work for a company like sony it's amazing how easy some things are <laughs> right so there's me at sony phoning up um various labels going hey can i license this record for this album and it's amazing how quickly they say yes right <laughs> and and then you can say and then they the, you know the question is always like okay so same deal as last time and you're like yep no problem and you know and it's just it, there actually really isn't much skill to it at that point um you the skill comes later on in life when you're not sitting in the uh in the uh, sort of incredible surrounding of Sony music and you're in the independent sector, you have to work a lot harder <laughs> trying to get things done <laughs> as I discovered. Um, but yeah, so, I, so yeah, I spent about a year sort of licensing and, and that, you know, and we'll talk about, you know, our, our sort of worlds of, of digital later on, but that, that licensing thing was, was a, a huge turning point, you know, for, for my career. And I, I didn't appreciate it at the time, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, it really sort of came into its own later on. Um, I mean, I guess, do you, want to, do you want to keep rapping on that? Yes, yes, yes. Go on like this. It's interesting. To yeah. Hear. All right. Okay. I'm interested you know, to, to hear your next steps. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not somebody who really likes the sound of my own voice. So uh, <laughs> uh, I tried, I'm not the only one doing a lot of talking. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. Well, all right. So, I mean, I think what I'll do now is just kind of sort of segue into, um, you know, the, the, the sort of digital music component to, to my life, which um, has been sort of the, the overriding factor. Um, but I ended after uh, after Sony. I did a few things. Uh, actually, got headhunted out of Sony into another label to again to make compilation albums. Um, and then I went to uh, well, I started my own label. Um, had had my own dance label, but it's because I'd been sort of so involved in dance music by that point that I, I really kind of fell in love with it. Um, you know, I was going to Bedrock Club nights, which uh, Lynn used to run with John Digweed. You know, so people like Sasha were coming down, and you know, you get to know all these these incredible people. Um, so yeah, really, really fell in love with dance music, which was, which was huge and has been a constant in my life since. Um, but, uh, went to work for this other dance label, uh, called Media Records, which, uh, was, um, had other labels like BXR and, and Nucleus, um, artists like Mara Picotto, Mara Pugh, um, uh, BK, uh, and, and, and people like that. So it was sort of on the hardest side of dance music. Um, mm-hmm. anyway, but my role there was... Uh, uh, licensing executive, I think my title was something like that. And what what my role was to do was to do the deals with the artists coming in, mm-hmm. and then to do the exportation out. So I was doing um, uh, sync licensing as yeah. much as I was doing licensing to compilation albums. Uh, and then these these contracts started to come in where they were saying, <clears throat> "We want to sell your music on the internet," and of course the agreements were licensing agreements. So they got given to me because I was the licensing guy. Mm-hmm. And that honestly, like, I mean, complete luck, really, that 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 was what because, uh, you know, we're talking about 2002 kind of time. So Apple hadn't launched iTunes, you know, it kind of it wasn't really if there were a couple of download stores kicking around. But, you know, some people were still sort of on, yes. well, certainly like half-make half broadband dial-ups, right? You know, like it was just, people think, oh yeah, you know, it all started, you know, in the early 90s. It didn't, it, it, you know, it's, it's a fairly sort of, at least for me, it feels still fairly recent. But yeah, so you start to have these download stores, you know, pop up. One of them was Beatport, of course, um, which I, I later ended up 
uh, working with recently, in fact. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, th this whole licensing thing just kind of, you know, led me into this world of, of digital exploitation online. Um, and, you know, it was the brave new world. No one really understood it. I was still in my very early 20s by this point um, and just, you know, got absolutely hooked. And the so I left the label because <clears throat> at the time, the the trade body aim in the UK, so the, the independent um, label trade body and, and, and Media Records was a member of them. They had started this project um, where they were trying to help the, the independent labels figure out, um, you know, this whole new digital world. And so what they were doing at the time was they'd, they'd started to do a collective negotiation, um, but what and it's basically a precursor to, to Merlin and, and Merlin is the the the, the, um, the independent sort of representative for, for rights into a lot of deals today and you know a lot of people use their collectively negotiated deals the difference though is that the Merlin uses what's called aggregated deals so it's one singular contract with uh, with the DSP the digital service provider mm -hmm. um, but what we were doing is we were just kind of collectively negotiating so using the, the power of labels like beggars and one little indian and, and domino and other members like that um to to get good to get good uh, deals um but it, <clears throat> the, the contracts were actually direct between the the dsp and the label so that's what we were doing right? and so it was you know it was this huge sort of like administrative task but also like completely fascinating um but but basically i'd i'd Got to know the guys at, at, at this consultant company, Rights Router, um, that were building the, uh, the the digital supply chain technology. So the, uh, the the tech that was working with the record labels to uh, to uh, to get their music on online. Because of course, at that time, you you had record labels, and the most technical they got was they had an IT person, maybe, mm -hmm. right? So you know, this whole idea of you know record labels being technically savvy just wasn't it didn't exist. It wasn't a real thing. Like there was no like digital marketing particularly right it just it, they just you didn't not even not necessarily everybody had a computer i mean it just you know it was just it was kind of like that right mm -hmm. um so um but yeah so th this sort of this this bridge between you know music and tech was just just too too much of a draw to draw for me and so i ended up working for this this consultant company and uh and sitting in the offices of aim and that's where i met people like uh, alison wenham um, and, and many other incredible individuals, uh, you know, that were, were the, the trade body at the time. And, uh, and, you know, all of a sudden I found myself sitting on the new media committee, which was, you know, a collection of, um, uh, people like, uh, Simon Wheeler from beggars, um, Dominic Jones, who was at uh, Pinnacle at the time. Uh, he and I worked together af afterwards. Um, and just, you know, some people that I, you know, for me, they were, uh, I'd looked up to them, you know, I knew who they were and I was sitting in a room as, not not exactly an equal, but kind of like an equal, right? And I was still very very young, and it was hugely exciting. And of course, no one really knew, you know, what was going on. And what we were trying to do was create a sort of a you know a template of how these deals should look. A little bit like that licensing example I gave you earlier for compilation albums. You know, yes. pretty much people knew roughly how those deals looked and sounded. And when you looked at the deal memos, you you could understand them pretty quickly. That was essentially what we were trying to do with these digital deals. Um, and uh, yeah, so we, you know, uh, there was a guy called uh, Steve Johnston, uh, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago. Uh, he and I were um, kind of on the front line, doing the research, trying to find out, you know, who we should be talking to, having the first kind of negotiations, and then presenting them back to the new media committee, mm -hmm. um, who then kind of looked looked them over, decided whether or not they were the, the sorts of deals that, that the, the trade body should be representing, 
um, you know, a bit of due diligence, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then if it was kind of, you know, stamped approval by, by Simon, who was the chairman of the new media committee, then it would go up to the business affairs committee. And these are, these committees are, by the way, made up of volunteers. You know, these are people that have a day job and I think it was once a week, they'd all sit in a room and, you know, do this basically mm -hmm. for free on behalf of, you know, the rest of the membership. Um, so, you know, very, very good experience from my point of view to see the music industry doing that, um, you know, because in essence, they're all competitors, right? Because, mm -hmm. they, yeah, they're all trying to have a hit record. Um, so, they, they, again, things like that, you know, really kind of uh, sat well with me and, and, you know, I realized I'd made the right decision about getting into the music industry. Um, but, yeah, so, so that was kind of where it all kicked off. And, you know, I, I did a few different things. I, I was really, really early on with, with digital uh, and I can't, because of that, I think I've just been always thought of as a, a bit of an expert. Um, and now they've heard this origin story, they realized that I just kind of lucked my way into it <laughs> rather than being born into the world of digital licensing. Uh, it's <laughs> but yeah, so, so then it sort of, you know, when I did lots of things, oh God, do, do you really want the whole resume? Uh, so I, I think what I Go with the floor. And yeah, so all right. Well, I'm, I'm best known for the work I did with a company called Ingrooves. Um, it was a chap called Rob McDaniels, who's now the CEO at Beatport. Uh, but he was the founder and CEO of Ingrews. And when he wanted to uh, start getting into sort of the international business, I suppose, or, you know, having an international business, sorry, uh, he needed somebody to run it. Uh, I'd been recommended by uh, a mutual friend, a chap called PJ Doulet, who was, a, um, who was working for Rob Wells at Universal at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, oh, you know, you should meet this guy, Alex. So Rob and I met up and uh, got on really well. And he offered me the, well, I, I did, he had a pretty cool interview sort of style. He kind of then asked me to go and speak to a lot of people at the company. Mm -hmm. um, Cause it was, you know, San Francisco based company. They had that kind of slightly uh, new way of, of, of hiring people. And uh, that was, you know, again, thoroughly interesting process to kind of be talking to the CTO, David Kent. Um, uh, and you know the like the head of legal and, and you know the like and his co-founder uh, matt burns who, who's still at ingrews um <clears throat> and uh yeah so uh anyway got the job and you know from my bedroom what was it matt managing director and uh well and later then later senior vice president of, of international for for ingrews so yeah that was like kind of my 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 big title so you did uh, outside the u.s basically or? yeah so th this is the thing you know uh, you know i i was I was the only person for the company outside of um, the, that, that, at that time, the San Francisco office. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and it became kind of like that. I have a few sort of anecdotal stories of, you know, it, it became kind of ridiculous because I was the only person outside. And therefore any time, like any other country was ever mentioned, Oh, Alex will know about that. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think I, uh, I was, I, you know, I was still in my, in my twenties, I think. And, um, right, I, I just turned 30, I think. And, uh, of course I hadn't traveled like that. You know, I didn't, I didn't know every part of the world, uh, but I did have Google by this point, which was, uh, which was my friend. So I, I you know, <laughs> I, I, I was, I really wish I'd spent more time listening in geography class at school. Um, but, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a pro tip there, uh, kids, uh, listen in geography, um, and history probably. Uh, so it, it's, uh, uh, anyway, yeah, so I, I ended up like turning that from, you know, from my bedroom into, you know, a, a multi-million dollar multinational business for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that was, 
yeah, I think probably, you know, when I'm, when I'm dead and gone, that'll still be one of my greatest achievements. Uh, one, it was a lot of fun. Like just w- what a nice bunch of people and just, you know, in it to, to enjoy themselves as individuals. So, you know, their professional lives were not just, you know, focused on, you know, just making money. It was like they, they wanted to have fun while they were doing this. Um, but, you know, we did an awful lot of great work. You know, we had some incredible uh, artists. Um, we, you know, we put out the, uh, the you know, that, that uh, very popular Lumineers uh, record that uh, various songs from that were pretty much everybody's wedding song for several years um, and therefore had like high sync rates and, and the rest of it. Um, we worked with uh, the late Mac Miller and kind of, you know, we, had, we did his first big record. Um, and <clears throat> I got to work with um, uh, the 1975 um, and built a, a good friendship with their, their manager, Jamie Oburn, mm-hmm. uh, who has a dirty hip. Um, and uh, yeah, just, you know, had, had some really, really great clients, uh, really interesting time. Um, and, uh, you know, thoroughly sad to sort of see the back of that really, uh, you know, as it was, but you know, it's business, it changes. Um, uh, and then after that, I went to, to Warner, um, did a year there, uh, and built their DIY distribution company. I was a general manager, uh, there, um, that, you know, they'd, I guess, seen that, you know, you know, Sony had a relationship with record union, universal had started to spin up, uh, and then, you know, Believer just bought TuneCore. And I think there was just that general feeling of we should probably have that relationship with, you know, DIY independent artists that we just kind of don't really have. And so, so I built them uh, a platform called uh, level music. Um, very good, I think. <laughs> um, and, you know, and, and so after those two kind of big jobs, I suppose I, and this kind of brings us up to date, uh, which I'm sure you'll be, uh, thrilled about because it's the, the end of my story um but and and i think you you've gone through something similar Jan. um you know the uh i i just decided i didn't want to have a singular job anymore the the, the industry was changing too fast and in in so many different ways that uh i really wanted to to not have that singular job and so i set myself up as a, a you know an advisor and a consultant um last year and uh had an amazing first year uh, my, my friend uh Ghazi, who i worked with briefly at, at ingrus had built this incredible uh, literal empire called empire um, which is now one of the biggest music companies in the world um and he was basically at the same point of thinking about international so he's kind of brought me on as business development for the most part and but I, you know i work with the the lawyer and uh, and Ghazi to sort of figure out some of the, those international things for the, for the business, doing a lot of the DSP deals, mm-hmm. kind of going back to some of my roots. Um, and uh, and Facebook gave me a call uh, to help them in Southeast Asia, which was awesome. Really enjoyed doing that with them. Uh, and also Rob, who was, as I've mentioned earlier, uh, was founder of, of, of Ingrus, is now CEO of Beatport. Um, they were launching their uh, streaming service with, um, with the, the DJ hardware like Serato and things like that. Um, and, uh, and so he brought me in to kind of help get the product ready, do the licensing, work with the label team, work with the labels and just sort of like, just try and get that right and ready for launch, which they've done now, which is great. And, you know, cause I think at some point somebody had said to me, when I think when I come out of Ingrus, they'd said something like everything you do in life really is just a, like a project. So, cause I, I think with Ingrus, I'd been so emotionally attached to it. I like, I personally identified with the company. Um, because you know, people go, Oh, that's Alex from Ingrus, right? You know, and I think when people start saying things like that, it go it kind of gets in your head as like, I can't really exist outside of Ingrus or, or whichever company you're attached to. Um and so uh and then somebody said, Oh no, these are just projects that you'll do in life. Like as in 
you'll start them and then you'll finish them. And I think that's that sat really well with me now. And and I think if I if I'd heard that, you know, perhaps before, I, I would have had a slightly you know, different feeling about leaving Ingrews. Um, and why did you leave? Why did you leave Ingrews when you had partners? Ah, uh, yeah, I, I got I got to try and think of a good a good way of explaining this. So, I mean, the long story short is, Robert left, and the uh, the the VC guys wanted to exit, which is completely fine because that's that's absolutely what they should be doing right you know they're they're money guys they they put money in and they 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 want to have a multiple and they want to exit that's that their entire involvement and for the most part you know these these guys are brilliant but i think they, they just sort of run their course and so robert left and they brought in a new guy and he kind of came in with the attitude of i'm going to change everything and this isn't unusual, you know, new, new CEOs, uh, when they, when they kind of get parachuted into existing companies, they often just go in and just change a bunch of stuff. And what happened at the time was a lot of the executives of which I was one, you know, left the company and, um, <clears throat> mine was a slightly forced exit because he felt that this idea of international was too much of a silo. And I guess it kind of was, but only born out of the fact that that was its, you know, how it had grown up. You know, I was put in charge of it to, to create it. Um, and the time zones, you know, were such that I could do a call on a Monday with all of my team. And I had people in, uh, in Australia, in Indonesia, and then into like Germany and Norway and Europe. Um, and then obviously the UK and I could do these calls and I could have everyone on the call at a point in their day that kind of made sense. Right. And so we did these calls every single week and it just, for me, it made a lot of sense because, a lot of companies have international departments, right? That's, that's not an unusual thing. Um, so when he came in, he said he didn't really want that anymore. Um, that, that basically just left, you know, me nothing to do. Cause by this point I'd hired <clears throat> some incredible staff to do all of the bits of the job that I was previously doing. Yes. Um, you know, whether that was sales or whether that was licensing or any of the operation stuff or the label management, you know, at one point I did all of those jobs because I was the only person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I kind of hired, people to do all of that stuff and i my my entire role was just to kind of manage and then you know work with leadership to you know create strategic um you know uh, direction for the company um but he kind of removed all of that because he said we didn't say this he just kind of did it um I, you know i want to do something else right and he kind of refocused the company to being much more about technology and i guess with the idea that um you know, when you create tech, you create IP and that has a sort of material value, right? And I think, and I don't know this, and so I hope I'm not, you know, uh, upsetting anyone, but I think that he was kind of given the, the task to come in and help the VC company exit. That that was that was kind of how I... Did exit? I didn't follow it up, but did they make the exit? Or? Yeah, yeah, he... he <laughs> who bought it? Yeah, I, like he, he sold it to Universal, who were a... Um, uh, minority by that point a minority shareholder anyway because we, we'd when i first joined ingrus they were in talks with or just signed uh, a, a commercial deal with universal to um to do their their mobile distribution in north america and then it became also their uh, online as we called it uh, you know spotify and apple um, yeah. distribution as well as supply chain stuff not not sales and marketing just supply chain so just the technology piece of it um and uh yeah, and and so I don't know, like it just kind of everything changed. The whole dynamic changed. I I wasn't enjoying it. I don't think really anymore. If I'm if I'm 
well, mm. it was really honest with you. Um, and so it was probably the right thing, right? I mean, but it was hard at the time because, I mean, I'd literally, you know, helped put the office together, you know, like I've, I've still got pictures of us walking furniture down the road from one office to the next as we grew and things like that, you know, it was a very personal kind of, you know, uh, you know, put my heart and soul into this business, and, uh, and this this guy who I didn't know came in and basically went, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> I was like, the problem if you work for companies, sometimes you build something up and then somebody can just take it away if they want to. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was a shareholder. I had a, I had a little piece in it, and uh, you know, I think things like that, you know, again, pull you closer to it, and and then you know, you've got this person who, and look, it was he. He was the CEO. He was. It was in his right to make whatever changes he felt right. Yeah, and and I'm quite good at respecting the chain of command for the most point. Um, you know, I don't typically, you know, argue too much. I think that you know, if you're a lieutenant in a business, then you should speak your mind. But ultimately, if you, your boss says, "Look, thank you for that," but I really think that I'm right. All right, cool. Because then that's on you, right? You know, if it goes wrong. It's on you. If it goes right, then you can, you know, get the accolade. That, and, and I think that's how it should work, right? That's kind of the point of hierarchies. Mm. So, Yes. So, um, and, and then you, why did you decide to go on your own then? Just, you just said, I don't want to have one singular job or was it also not, did you have other, other drivers for this decision? Yeah. So, I mean, I think coming out of Ingrid was kind of a, a forced thing and something kind of similar happened to Warner. Uh, completely different and it was that was a kind of a collection of things but the the project um, was started by uh, a couple of people and then somebody else got a more senior job and so it then became their project and they didn't really I don't think they either really got it or believed in it as much basically the budget got pulled so it wasn't really anything to do with me as an individual I mean there were a few things that had changed I suppose like during the process, we'd gone from working with a Swedish company on the tech to using the um, the engineers at, uh, at Warner in, in America. And, and so, you know, it became quite a difficult thing for me sitting in the UK to manage. It was fine when it was in Sweden because we were on the same time zone and I could kind of hop over there and, and, and work with that. But so, yeah, again, it was like, again, nothing in particular. It was just, I think, circumstances changed and, you know, <clears throat> and it wasn't then the right thing for, for me as an individual anymore. But Ultimately, both of those examples were things that had happened outside of my control. And I, and I didn't like that. Like I, I've always been, you know, as I said earlier, I had my own record label. I actually had one of the first um, digital distribution companies in the UK with, the, with a friend of mine um, focused on dance music. It was quite niche, but ultimately we were using that right through to technology. And we kind of, we'd had this label management company that we'd started anyway, sort of creating vinyl records for, for dance labels. But, but anyway, the point of all that is, you know, I've always had quite an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, you know, I'm, quite, I'm, I'm a free thinker. I'm, I'm also a bit of a jack of all trades. So, I, you know, I, I know a lot of different things uh, in terms of like the technical skill around certain things. Um, uh, and so, yeah, so, you know, when, you, when, when you're in those situations where your entire direction can completely change because of somebody else, I, I don't know. I just kind of, I just got to the point. I, I don't think I want to put myself in that position again you know, and, uh, you know, and I talked to my wife about, about this and, you know, I've got two kids and so I've got responsibilities that way. Uh, and, you know, and she was really good and sort of said, you know, this is more about your happiness and things like that. So I thought, okay, cool. So I kind of took a risk. And fortunately, as I say, like, you know, uh, Ghazi, uh, at empire, it was just the right time for him to bring me on, um, which was kind of like, that gave me enough to kind of 
do do the other things um and, uh, and as i say like almost immediately i got a call from beatport uh and then facebook came in later on in the year uh and now this year i'm, I'm working with um uh, a music tech uh, company that creates uh, videos called rotor mm-hmm. rotorvideos.com uh, for those who want to go check it out um and essentially it's just a really cheap way of creating a you know a 1080p uh, music video either from footage you've got or from uh, stock footage and they have this large library of incredible stock footage and so what you get is for 25 bucks you get a high quality music video um in you know in about 10 minutes um either from footage you've got or what from stock r-o-t-e-r or yeah r-o-t-o-r videos.com um and uh yeah it's a it's a brilliant bit of kit and they've kind of you know, been evolving over time. They've now added a kind of like a service layer to it. So they're working with Warner um, to uh, to uh, you know to to create certain video assets just because they can do it quicker and cheaper, right? And and the quality's still there. Um, that you know they're using some AI uh, and some machine learning. Um, so when you put in the the audio into the platform, <clears throat> whenever whatever video assets you kind of put with it, it'll beat match it and do the transitions correctly there's a whole lot of like transitions and they've got like the ability to put you know lyric overlays and it all kind of it all just kind of works um so yeah some super clever uh, nerdy techie stuff in the background going on there which i don't fully understand um but i'm not supposed to so uh to me it's just magic it's just sort of wizardry uh, which which is te- with technology is wonderful um but uh but yeah so that, that's a lot of fun and then I'm, I, I'm working with another company who i can't name for for various reasons um but in the music space and i'm i'm essentially helping them with their uh their the next stage of their evolvement as a company um so sort of think investment type of uh, area mm-hmm. um but yeah so so you know a variety of different things and that honestly is what i wanted to do i, I didn't want to do just one thing i wanted to you know see what was out there and, and be helpful and be useful um and, uh, and and I think that's my kind of my sweet spot in life. Well, how does it feel now after one year and um, the business is running? How, how different is the life to to being in a job? Oh, so so different. I mean, like the the sense of freedom is amazing. Um, I, I enjoy, you know, finding. Well, I mean, I've been really lucky so far. People have come to me every time. I've never actually had to kind of go out there and look for work, which. Um, you know, is I think one of those things that it's probably worth talking about a little bit actually. The when I when I left both Ingrus and 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 then you know fairly quickly you know Warner after that, you know have, when you've been in a job for a long time, right? I, I had job offers while I was at Ingrus. You know, I had people like Apple phone me up and go, "Can you come and do this?" And I and I turned them down, right? Because you know I was a shareholder and it was kind of mine, and you know like I felt like a real sense of ownership. But of course, the reality was I didn't own nearly enough to to be in control of my, my, my future. And, um, uh, yeah. So, uh, what, so what was the question again? I've totally forgotten what we were talking about. <laughs> the difference in the life. Uh, oh yeah. yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah. And, and, you know, when you come out of like doing something, the, the same thing every day and you know, now I, I, in one day I can do kind of three different jobs, right. Cause I've got three clients at the moment. I, d- I do some other work for like, I, I, I run an agency for like investment companies. So every now and again, like I'll do a phone call with, you know, a team out in China or something that, that are looking at investing in, you know, 
not necessarily this, but companies like Spotify or Universal, and they just want to talk to somebody about the landscape. They want to understand licensing. They want to understand kind of how commercial terms work. That that you know what the industry thinks of certain parts of the business, like streaming. You know, and it's like it's totally again in my sweet spot of kind of helping you know different parts of the the, the you know the business connect with the music side, right? Um, because I've got an understanding of, of all the different parts, whether that's the business, whether that's the sort of technical aspects around around music business, you know, whatever. So, um, <clears throat> so uh, yeah, and you know, so every day is, is different, right? And and that's phenomenal. And and I and I and I can do almost what I want. And all of the roles, including the Empire one, you know, ultimately the the the, the job is uh, go and create something. And that and that's that's a that's a truly wonderful feeling. Like, it really is. Um, I, I think whenever you get yourself into a, a role, unless you're unless you're wired this way, and, it's, and, and we do need people to kind of just churn through kind of you know sort of administrative tasks, right? All businesses have an element to that, um, but I'm not really wired that way. I get I get kind of bored like a little quickly um, doing the same thing over and over again. Um, so it's always got to be fresh. It's always got to be new, and and I'm quite I'm quite good at uh, if somebody goes right, uh, go and create essentially something out of nothing or something out of like these sort of, you know, your base components, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I can go and do that. And, and I, and I like that creative process of coming up with the ideas, but also I like the execution piece of it. Um, and I think that's quite a useful, you know, sort of thing about me, right? Because I will get my hands dirty. I will get involved and, and, you know, make the phone calls and, you know, chase people down and, uh, and, you know, do the sales pitch as much as kind of, just being a sort of you know a technical expert or whatever yeah again so that that jack of all trades thing that i mentioned yes. earlier that's kind I mean, of i think uh, the music industry is going so to through so much change then you need people who understand it and you can bring it in particular if you if you also know technology that you can bring it to the next phase and the next phase and that's actually what i want to talk to you about as well because um we both started this at labels and uh, it would be very interesting for me to see how you see the future of major labels. I mean, small labels will maybe always exist in some form, but how are major labels evolving? Because right now everybody can upload their song, make a video at Rotor videos and uh, do the marketing on their social platforms. So do we still need them? Are they only banks or is the new music company a music investment company? How do you see the music industry evolving and how do you see labels? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's there's definitely some uh, new challenges for for major labels at the moment, and I think you know Warner bringing me in to to build level is is a part of that. You know, they'd seen you know this DIY segment grow. I think in 2017 it grew 35 percent, whereas the major labels, uh, like in, in terms of like trade value, um, uh, major labels only grew by seven percent. So you know, very different sort of metric there in terms of market share. Market share is something they, they get very concerned about for the most part because it's how they uh, uh, leverage um, the negotiations in deals with, with the likes of Spotify and Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so they're, they're definitely, they're, you know, they're, they're under threat, kind of, kind of under threat. Um, I guess, you know, labels like, um, like Empire that I work with, um, you know, they are, you know, fully-fledged music companies and there's pretty much nothing that, uh, the major labels can do that, that a company like Empire can't do. And Empire's not the only one. There's others, beggars and, and, and others, right? Um, you know, fully functioning companies that don't really rely on anyone else. You know, like Empire has its own digital supply chain for, for, for distribution. So 
it, it's not like it's outsourcing that to someone else um, in the same way that the major labels don't, right? Um, <clears throat> so there's, are they banks now? That's really doing them a dis disservice. I, I'm not a fan of the kind of major label bashing kind of thing. Having now worked recently inside one and knowing that, that you gotta understand, right? Major labels have the ability to hire the best people. And I'm not saying by any means I'm the best person, but they, they, they do, they hire really well. Like they, they, they bring in some incredible people. I think the problem is that they, 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 they still can't get past is uh, the bureaucracy, um, the, the sort of the multi-layers of, 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 of their departments and management, and it slows a lot of stuff down. Mm -hmm. Whereas, uh, you know, an independent label, like, so again, using Empire just because I know it, you know, Garten Ghazi said this publicly, I don't think I'm betraying any confidence. You know, he can literally get up and decide to do something, right? If he wants to go and sign an artist and maybe, you know, uh, you know uh, pay over the odds for something or whatever he wants to do, just because he wants to take a risk and he wants to do it almost always with Ghazi for other reasons. Like he's always thinking like several steps ahead of most people. He's, he's kind of, uh, he's, he's just super impressive, just generally. Um, <clears throat> and he can do it and he doesn't have to go and ask a board of directors or he doesn't have to go and ask uh you know the, the finance team he'll just tell them oh i'm gonna go and do this and again it's not particularly unique to empire i don't think but um it's fairly new unique i suppose um and certainly that's not what a lot of the the, the major labels can do like the the bosses you know the sort of the many bosses that there are they, they yeah entitle but they, they don't really always have the ability to completely just do do whatever they want because they've got responsibilities to somebody else mm -hmm. um so i that, that that's that's going to be you know a continual problem for them because the, the the world is moving really quickly as you said earlier artists can do a lot of this stuff themselves mm -hmm. i would of course i you know i've sat on i forget how many panels talking about um you know does is there any is there any place left for the label? So not necessarily a, a you know a major indie thing. Just is is there a place for for record labels anymore? Um, because you can, as you say, like put your record on on all the, the DSP platforms for what twenty bucks, or you know if you're using a, a platform like uh, Amuse, you know it's free, right? <laughs> so there's literally no barrier to entry. But um, and I know this from uh, working in in a label at the moment, um, you know, albeit a sort of an independent but one of the biggest in the world uh, there's an awful lot that can be done and should be done if you're going to properly develop an artist and i'm not just talking about marketing i'm talking about creative a and r mm -hmm. so you know one of the things that the the gazi's done recently is he's, he's bought a recording studio for his artists that he doesn't charge them for right and so this kind of like this creative aspect of you know that that music creation and, and creating a space for people to make music uh, and, and it being the right environment i don't know how many companies are thinking like that anymore um, i think that's all you have to think because I, I think in my opinion that is the only differentiator if you go into the creative part in in, in the past you know the major labels were and when we started their big plus was distribution and then later okay. on it was marketing but now I think it's A&R and maybe creative marketing um, where you can really make a difference. I think that's what you have to do. And I, for example, in Germany, the one of the biggest uh, hip hop labels is done by a guy called Elvi Omabegovic. And he's successful for about 10 years in a row. I think out of his artists, 80% or 90% crossover 
were successful and and he's really big time looking into helping the artists with recording with production with um, their brand with their purpose even and and i think that's where you have to go in the creative part yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and and I, I think my experience at empire has kind of um given me uh uh, give me a really sort of uh, nice feeling again about music. <clears throat> I think that a lot of my digital distribution had, had taken me a long way away from music, like the actual music. Cause I was, if you think about distribution, you're typically not dealing with the artist. You're mostly dealing with, you know, several layers removed, right? You've got artist manager, record label, and then distribution company. And often distribution companies are the last people to hear about a new release. You know, it's like, you know, all, all that kind of fun stuff, all that creative stuff happened way before. Um, and so, yeah, and, and, and again, like not even being kind of on the front lines, like managing the labels, you know, as a sort of senior manager, you know, your, your job is like managing a, you know, Salesforce CRM flow and spreadsheets and, you know, meetings. And it's, it's you know, that's fine. That's part of business, but, um, it's not, you know, I could have just been a banker or something like that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, but you know, I think that's uh, the funny thing is that's how the business is evolving as well because distribution, I mean, like streaming or, or first downloading, that was the interesting part. The, um, when I started uh, and I wanted to be an A&R, it was really to break new artists. But then I changed also in the beginnings of the 2000s to be, get interested into... Uh, tech and distribution because then that was the interesting part the napster was the big thing and then Spotify, uh, itunes and spotify and that's really how the industry changed but i think now with the streaming i think that's as far as you can go i mean what else can there come maybe it's be more ai driven or more um, but it's really it's going to be streaming for the next years uh, as soon as we don't uh, breathe it in the air or something so i think it's kind of done the distribution part now and now it's a creative part again, and that's exciting. And that's maybe also a forefront of the whole society because now everybody is talking, you have to be, you have to code, you have to go tech. Uh, but the first real deep tech people like Peter Thiel and, and, and Elon Musk are already saying, now teach your kids liberal arts, teach your, teach your kids music, teach your kids creative things, because there's going to be a time when everybody can code. It's going to be so easy. You just yeah. tell your computer, do that, do that. And then the creativity is again interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, when I was at university, I taught, taught myself HTML, um, a little bit of C++. Yes. Um, and of course, you know, I, having, you know, watched the engineers, you know, as I was building level, which is probably my, like my most tech focused role of late. Yeah, it was piecing together components and it was like, it was like putting together a jigsaw puzzle. All right, there's, there's always some like really clever stuff that happens on the back end. And, you know, when you get, you know, when, you, when you get like a really good full stack developer, like that's just super impressive individuals, you know, and they're, they're, it's, like, it's wizardry, you know, cause it's stuff that is just beyond my capabilities to understand. But, um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, I mean, even like when I started building websites for companies you, using things like Microsoft front page and uh, things like that, you know, even that was, it was something similar, right. You know, it's, it's not, like machine code learn you know like where you're having to type that out and or whatever it's um uh i think you're right i think you know there are so many good applications now to to create applications uh you know almost anyone can do it um and i think that that's going to continue on so yeah no, and it's an interesting thing that you, you talk about uh with um streaming it's kind of like and that's kind of it it's done um i mean i think uh we 
in my lifetime, I've seen so many different iterations of a quote unquote, the format uh, sort of come and go. Uh, so I think I probably would be less bullish on, you know, it being, <clears throat> you know, streaming is the end of it. I'm, I'm not sure that I have enough of a crystal ball to say that that would be true. Um, Can you imagine something? I mean, the streaming, I could well, imagine so before it came. When Napster came, I could already imagine streaming. But now I can't imagine anything else. I mean, what could Okay, so, so, th so I, suppose, you know? I suppose, yeah, I mean, this, this might be a conversation that goes absolutely nowhere, right? But if you think about it, right, so in your, in your home, you had a hi-fi system, mm -hmm. and that hi-fi system at one point had a record player attached to it, and then it had a tape deck attached to it, and then it had a CD player attached to it, right? So you've been swapping out these components, but ultimately you've still got speakers and an amplifier and, and things mm -hmm. like that, right? So, yes, and then downloads came along and it might be a computer or an MP3 player attached to it, um, but essentially speakers. And now, yes, streaming is uh, a, uh, a, a new way of listening to it, but it's not, see, the, the, the format argument, I don't see streaming really like a format as such. Um, it, it's, uh, how, to, how to put this? You know, we went through iterations of uh, Windows Media Audio DRM files as downloads, which were different from FLAC or WAV file downloads. Um, and that they, they, DRM had restrictions in terms of how you could use it in the same way that a CD couldn't be played in a tape deck, right? right? There, was a, there was a sort of restriction around that. I think streaming, you think about it, the format really is whether it's a stream coming from a Spotify player, right? Or whether it's coming from an Apple player. Now, Fortunately, we've got smart devices that can have both on them. So the device, the, the physical component um, is now uh, ubiquitous, but um, the, the, the actual platforms themselves, I think that's where you'll continually see that involvement. And personally, I think the challenges for the record industry, and I, I talked about this on, a, on one of my episodes, uh, and you know, where, where you had like piracy and copying, right? Which kind of ultimately, you know, were some of the reasons why some of those formats kind of didn't continue or, you know, just technology evolved. Uh, I think uh, the, uh, the, the next wave is going to be a, a, a change in how we pay for it, how we as individuals uh, are interacting with these companies. And let's face it, we're all seeing um, land grab going on by big tech. So Amazon, Apple, Google, mm -hmm. uh, they're getting into TV. Right. So, you know, I don't know how your setup is at home, but I have a sort of a mixture of, um, you know, Netflix subscription through a smart TV or an Apple TV or an Amazon Fire Stick. In fact, I've got all of those because it hasn't settled down yet. Right. And some things work on some and some things don't work on others. And but I've also got an Apple Music subscription, but then they've just launched Apple TV like as a subscription thing and that, like all of that stuff. Uh, that's got to settle down a little bit because we're starting to see exclusive content come in again in particular around TV. Um, so I wonder how music might evolve that way. A lot of people talk about kind of having specialist, um, you know, streaming platforms for, for certain genres, but if you think about the price point, right. You know, it's what, uh, cable companies like Sky did with uh, sports and movies and they sort of separated them out from their basic packages. You know, could we see a time where 
I mean, I don't listen to Taylor Swift. I'm not target demographic for that, right? So do I want to be paying for a service where it's got Taylor Swift in it? If I can get something that's cheaper that doesn't have Taylor Swift in it, there's nothing, nothing against Taylor Swift. She's clearly super successful and very likable by all accounts. Uh, but, you know, for me as an individual, you know, I, that's not what I'm going to listen to. So, you know, I wonder whether we're going to start to see some changes there. I wonder whether we'll start to have these subscription packages um, that, you know, might be bundled into your utility bills and other things, right? I mean, why not, right? If Elon Musk is breaking down some of those industry barriers and linking things together, yeah, why not, right? All you're saying, I'm sure it's, go it's going to happen in some form or the other. Um, it might be uh, different owners. It might be different uh, ways to, to for the people to access the music or to buy it or different sales structures. But in the end, it's still it's going to be streamed, right? Yeah, but, with, um, but there but will with, be involvement, I'm sure, and change but, and movement. But would that would that kill distribution though, right? No, because not at, all, you, not at all. Huh? Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. No, no. Distribution is is necessary, and there will be. But I just the question is if there will be a, if distribution will be the big differentiator. Um, you know, if if it's in the end still owned by or anyway owned by Amazon, Apple, and Google, and <laughs> maybe two three other players survive, if they change it this way or the other way around. You know. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. Right. So here's the here's the thing. Sitting in the West, as we do, we're all very smug about our Western oh, company. Yeah, of course. Right? TikTok. TikTok is a huge player. Oh, and there are so many. Yes. There are so many others, right? And and this is the thing, you know. And you know, we've. I'm I'm personally really enjoying this awakening of mm -hmm. uh, other markets that have been uh, forgotten about by the traditional record industry not through any malice it's just the practicalities around things like distribution and uh, exploitation where you could actually make it work viable as a business of course and that's of course changing you know copyright reform improved technology better services um uh and, and all that all that kind of stuff right so the, i mean that this 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 to me right now in my lifetime is is i think going to be a, a constant which is these um, you know this change in world power um within music and, mm -hmm. and you know and you know, kind of going back to that point about the uh, the uh, the major record companies and what role do they have to play? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've seen of late them launch, uh, I think, Def Jam in Indonesia and things like that, right? You know, it's kind of or in Asia just generally, and you know, and they're they're, they're starting to spend a bit more money thinking about some of these new markets, um, and they can because they've got some capital, right? They they you know are, are they dead no i don't think so right that you know they, they've got a lot more resources than, than most other music companies and so uh, uh and and actually if you think about it they they then therefore will have uh, an important role to play in the in the development of uh of those markets just you know generally as they start to mature uh personally i spend a lot of time in in southeast asia in particular in indonesia um so in indonesia for example the biggest record companies are not the major Western majors. They are the local independents, mm -hmm. um, and you know that, and they have a much bigger market share than the uh, the Western majors. Will that will that stay the same? I don't know. But um, I mean, one of the things I'm trying to do at the moment is to you know help keep them at the top. Uh, so I'm, I'm working on some really exciting projects with some of the biggest stars in the in the country, which is just just an absolute joy. It really is. Um, <clears throat> so uh, there's a. There's a <laughs> There's a lot changing still. I don't think that, you know, I think you've always got to think about the music industry as it's just constantly changing, right? And I think if you ever if you ever sit back and think, oh, it's, it's done, it's easy, I know everything, then you, you're, you're probably done and you should leave anyway, right? <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Um, what you just said is also interesting about uh, the the change in, in world power in music because I can remember maybe five, six years ago, I watched the 10 uh, biggest YouTube videos of the year. And I think right. it was all American. And last yeah. I watched them and there were maybe two American in there and then there were Chinese and there were Russian and uh, I think four or five uh, from South America. Yeah. So so there I could already see this this big change. and. People from who still work in the music industry tell me um, that now the biggest growth by far is coming that all of a sudden, before it was all about USA, UK, Germany, Japan, and now all of a sudden Russia and India and uh, even Africa is, is bringing in huge revenues. Yeah, and actually, no, you know, let's stay on this sort of line of thought because I think, I think it's interesting. I think it's relevant right now. Um, so one of the other things that's been changing is because of streaming and because of the way that algorithms work within those platforms in terms of you know, creating um, promotional opportunities for each artist, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have um, you know, a high skip rate, your, your algorithm sort of personality, if you like, or aura is, is not gonna be very good, right? You know, basically the algorithm is gonna go, people don't like this artist because they're skipping it, right? So people are writing records and putting the hook in the first five to 30 seconds of the track because they don't want the skip rate, right? Mm. It's changing the way people compose music, music right? Yeah. That yeah. is fascinating to me. So, so take that thought process and spin yeah. it further, right? Yeah. TikTok, what they 15 second videos that they make? They oh, one, create? Minute, one minute, one minute. One minute video. Yeah, okay, all right. Sorry, 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 that's um, Instagram stories. My, my bad, you're right. In one the minute. one minute you have to put everything now, right? Because that's right. it. So if you're gonna make music for, what could be theoretically the main distribution for your music, right? So, all right, today we're in a world where Apple and Spotify are leading the pack in terms of full track streaming. But what if music consumption for the next generation of people, like, you know, I have a, a 10 year old daughter, you know, you too. She, you too. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> another, another thing we have in common. Uh, that's, that's actually quite weird. Um, but I guess we're well, a similar age, so maybe not. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so, uh, you know, perhaps that's the main consumption format right mm -hmm. you know a sort of mix of short form instagram yeah, another, stories, another, TikTok and, yeah. right so so maybe so then maybe music isn't three and a half minutes long or whatever right maybe maybe music in the future is 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 a bit more incidental because it's a quicker pace of it you know sort of change i, I don't know but that then theoretically can change everything about what's going on and certainly can, can change the uh, control that certain uh, giants have right now uh, in the space because they they would be at the moment playing catch up to bite dance right in the tiktok world right right so yes, that's I, a very interesting thought and i'm sure it will come like this actually it's a great thought it's it's almost a business opportunity right it's it's isn't it yeah <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah i you know i've been noodling that for for a minute now and you know i, I sort of cuz you know people talk about um you know, the threat of, um, so like if you work in, in music distribution, you know, is there a threat that, uh, you know, Spotify is signing artists direct or Apple is signing artists direct? Okay, all right. Is, is that the, you know, is, is that the only threat or is the threat actually that somebody else could come along with something like a bite, you know, a TikTok and, and sign artists direct to that? Mm -hmm. and that? And that's the most important bit. And so therefore it's not, don't get distracted by Apple and Spotify signing artists. That that's not what's important, you know. <clears throat> and so, it, what the only thing that is important is 
going back to kind of the beginning of this conversation, licensing and 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 well, the creative, right? The 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 origination of music, and the uh, ongoing kind of ownership of that. And so, if in the way copyright law works, at least you know if you're the person that that created it, you own it. Um, so you can talk all you like about big companies owning stuff, but they they they're not the ones that are in the street. Like the executives are not in the studio making music, are they? As the artist. So, you know, I, <laughs> I there's hope yet. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I mean, we did a great ride. We started with your story and then we moved into the music industry and then we even moved into the future now. And we <laughs> created inspiration for people for to start uh, a certain niche project in the business to, to grow. Or just confuse them. I'm not really sure. I will have to listen back. I'm going to have a, enjoy listening back to sort of my ramblings. Uh, but yeah. Now, no, I mean, one uh, minute, this one minute idea of you to really that the style of the music will adapt to TikTok and other TikToks, I think that's very relevant. I'm almost certain it will happen. And oh, uh, you start looking for that right now, you may be upfront. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I, I I can tell you from you know some of the you know the work that I'm doing elsewhere. You know, th these these companies are thinking about this stuff. They're thinking like, okay, so, and, and you know, it's not rocket science. But if you've got lots of sort of um, exploitation endpoints and they're all in different formats, um, you know, whether that, again, like in video, maybe that's uh, landscape instead of portrait, uh, you know, orientation of, of the video. Right, that's that's a that's a difference. So before everything was in, in landscape, right? It was kind of how you shot music videos. But now you've got these portrait videos, Instagram stories and IGTV and things like that. Mm -hmm. There's gonna be more of that. And and you know, I don't I don't know how many TikToks you've ever seen, but they're all in portrait as well. Mm -hmm. So it, it's you know, if you're if you're thinking about being uh, an artist and having uh, you know a career, you you've now and I, I did I, I so on Saturday my my uh, uh, I did a podcast uh, with an artist friend of mine uh, and it was all about the artist as the entrepreneur mm -hmm. and we kind of got into the weeds on all of the different things that a essentially a DIY artist has to do I mean he's a successful DIY artist in that sense right and he actually has a few people around him doing certain things you know publishing deals that type of stuff but ultimately he still is on his own and was just the list like when he when he, he sat there and he sort of went right if i'm going to put and he's, he's like i've got this record i'm going to put out and now when i think about that and he listed all of the things that he's got to do and it's endless i mean it just is it's crazy uh, it's a business artist you know <laughs> that's that's it a hundred percent right so yeah i mean it's uh, yeah and this uh this is uh, yeah and yeah i mean it's um it's a change that artists have had to kind of get used to. Yes. Uh, but they, I think they are, everyone's a business artist now. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Entrepreneurs have to be artistic as well and entrepreneurial and, and creative to, to make a difference. Yeah. So both worlds come together. Closer. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Perfect. Um, I think that's a great, I think it's probably the longest interview I've ever did, Alex. Oh, no, no that, that's terrible. Oh, that's, that's definitely my fault. I'm sorry. No, that's, that's good as well. People, um, I think it's important to know your background for this conversation, which then evolved. So I think that's good. And people who are interested in the music industry, I'm sure will love this interview. So thank you. Thank you for, for being here. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um,
I want to um, just give, ask you one last and short question. So um, we give other people the chance to make the longest episode still. Um, <laughs> for, for somebody who's now maybe studying music industry or is at university or maybe at school and wants to go into the music industry today, do you have any advice for, for those people? Yeah, go and listen to my podcast. I did something on uh, <laughs> how to get into the music industry. Uh, in short, um, start just make a start you don't have to continue doing whatever you started out doing um if you listen to this podcast you'll know um that's not what happened to me um so just pick something that you, you think you're interested in that you think you're going to be good at and just start doing it because you can now because most of the gatekeepers have disappeared um and get out and build your network your network is going to be hugely important to you um and uh, and you and you know be useful to them as well um, and it will just naturally evolve. Don't don't worry about having some grand master plan. Um, just get out there and start. Perfect. I can only, you know, support that. I, I believe the same. Do action and make friends. Build up your network. That's that's major important. Everything else will come. Enjoy the process. Indeed. So, Alex, thanks again. Th thanks for being here, uh, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and maybe you want to have a talk with me, you can book your free 15 minutes call on my website, janmelhos.com, J-A-N-M-E-H-L-H-O-S-E.com. Uh, just book your call. I listen to your case and give you my advice. Thank you. Hope we, we hear each other on the next episode. Bye-bye for, for today. Bye-bye, Alex. Bye.